This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, October 6th. 2023, and I'm Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. This week, I am here with my colleague, Jason Greifel, also of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Jason is SBNR's Director of Government and Public Affairs and a non-attorney partner. We are going to be discussing the state of congressional chaos. Federal employees were on high alert last week as it seemed we were destined for a shutdown, but things took a turn over the weekend and the government is now funded until November 17th. Jason and I are going to be telling you guys about everything that's been going on, what this means for the current state of the government for federal employees, and what the way ahead looks like. Jason, thanks for sitting down with me today. It's great to have this conversation. I think it's a really important one for the federal employees who are watching what Congress is doing and kind of scratching their heads a little bit. Happy to be here, Natalia. And, you know, I'm as uh, mystified and was as wrong as everyone else who who predicted that we'd we'd come down to the wire and, and end up shutting down. Um, and I think it's great that Congress was able in the near term, you know, to avoid that fate. Um, I think that the remarks from uh, recently deposed Speaker McCarthy uh, yesterday after he was stripped of his his leadership position in the House where he really took the gloves off and spoke plainly about uh, what congressional dysfunction means for moving the business of the American people forward and for um, the institution of the House as a whole. I agree. I think I think it was really great that Congress was able to avert a shutdown, but part of the frustration and I think the shock for a lot of people in the community was this agreement that they came to at the last minute seems like something that could have been done weeks earlier when it was clear that negotiations on full year appropriations weren't going to happen. So for our listeners out there who are less familiar with the process, Congress must pass full year appropriations by the end of the fiscal year. And if they need a little bit more time because they're still negotiating, they can pass what's called a continuing resolution, which extends funding from the previous year with some sometimes provisions tied into it and things like that. Um, for a certain point. So that's what they ended up doing here. They passed a continuing resolution for 45 days, which is what gets us to November 17th. But but, uh, Jason, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, because like I said, what's frustrating for me is that the deal that ended up being struck is a deal that could have been struck so much earlier. 
And what does that say um, to our federal workforce and maybe the feelings that they are having about their role in this process? One of uh, my colleagues mentioned that they felt like political pawns and it was just like this constant waiting game until the last minute. How do you think this impacts the employees? I definitely think that it exacts a significant emotional and mental toll on the workforce. Look, federal employees are no different than the American people. And by that, I mean specifically 55 to 63% of American people live paycheck to paycheck. This is exactly the same for the federal workforce. And so through no fault of your own whatsoever, um, other people who are elected to do a job, it is Congress's primary job to manage the purse strings of our country, to be put in this position where throughout the month of September, you're pinch, pinching pennies and, and tightening up the family budget and socking some money away if you haven't been able to do so previously. Um, luckily, coming out of the 2019 shutdown, it was put into the law that federal employees were, would be eventually guaranteed back pay once appropriations came full. So all of us lobbyists weren't working hard on, on that piece, but, but that gave no comfort to those people who were really vulnerable and exposed. And we just can't keep doing this to people. It's it's not a good thing. It's not a good way to treat your employees. It's it's not a good way to recruit future employees. And and as you watched the debate in Congress, one thing that was really clear to me was a true lack of understanding for the significant impacts on federal operations and the tens of thousands of wasted man hours and the millions and millions and millions of wasted taxpayer dollars that ultimately went into planning something that we got to the brink of executing. And luckily we didn't, because that would have been even more work to, to unwind. But but there's a real, if, our, if, a, if the concern in Congress is what we're spending money on and how government's operating, this whole episode literally did nothing other than light a ton of money on fire. I, I totally agree. You know, government waste is something I care deeply about. I would love our government to work more efficiently and save more money for taxpayers like all of us. And what's so frustrating about the the, the episode that we've seen over the last month is that it, it, it fuels so much more waste when we are in a, a getting ready for a shutdown posture, even when we're in a CR state. Um, during a continuing resolution, federal agencies are still halted in a variety of ways. They're not sure what their funding is going to look like in a couple weeks. They're not sure what it's going to look like next year, so they can't engage in certain long-term planning initiatives. Many agencies cannot continue hiring during a CR when they're not sure if they're going to have the funding to maintain those full-time employees. So even if you take a step back from, you know, the funding debate, this type of what I would call congressional incompetence only fuels the exact type of waste that particularly those in the House of Representatives who were really pushing for funding cuts. I mean, it, what they're trying to do is eliminate waste. So it doesn't really make sense to me to pursue the least efficient means possible of getting that done. No, I agree. And it's it's important to recognize this, this you know, where each chamber was when we got here. Um, 
you know, although the Senate had been making great progress through committee, um, advancing its bills on a bipartisan basis, it did not. And it was a, unable to clear any of those bills through the chamber and, and pass them and send them to the House. Only in the two or three days before the shutdown was the House able to pass um, three or four of its appropriations bills that indeed uh, uh, covered a significant portion, I think about 70% of federal funds between the Defense Department, um, uh, the VA, um, and others. But one of the initial promises that Speaker McCarthy made to his, his conference to become the Speaker was, we're going to go to regular order, we're going to pass all these bills, and we're not going to find ourselves in an, in an omnibus or a, or a CR situation. And so it, it's very ironic that this cadre that really was pushing for these steep cuts uh, wasn't able to achieve their objectives through normal order and probably isn't going to be able to achieve their objectives at all, um, given the, 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 the chaos that the House has been thrown into um, when they just were adjourned for another week. Well, they'll be coming back next week on Tuesday and Wednesday to try uh, to select a new speaker and, and get the train back on track. And we'll see what happens with appropriations. Um, and we can't forget about the deal that the speaker made with the president um, in the middle of the summer around the Fiscal uh, Responsibility Act that was tied to the debt ceiling. Um, if Congress is unable to complete a full appropriations process by the end of this year on January 1st, uh, that terrible word, the sequester, will be back. All agencies will face an indiscriminate 1% across the board cut. Um, so we're really going to have to see what happens here, you know, between both chambers. Um, and I, I think everyone's waiting to see. Jason, I was not around uh, during the last sequestration. Uh, there are probably a lot of listeners who are federal employees who also weren't around. Can you just give us the two minutes of what that looks like and how you think that would impact the work of federal employees? So the, the easiest analogy is making cuts with, with a meat cleaver as opposed to a scalpel. So you're just saying we are going to take away a percentage across everything. We're not deciding what programs are working. We're not looking at evidence to see if it's helping achieve the, the objectives of the Congress um, or helping the American people in certain ways. It's frankly lazy. It's just lazy. Um, it does indeed cut numbers. Um, it, it was the situation that the Congress found itself in, in an extremely divided government with President Obama and, and the ascendant Tea Party. Um, but I think largely, if you look at it in retrospect, now that we've come out of sequester for a year or two, what it really did was prevent agencies from investing in modernization, from training their employees on how to use all of this great new technology that's coming available. And so it really set us back pretty dramatically, both in terms of that, that, that technology and the modernization side, but also the, the skills and capabilities of the workforce. You know, there's a lot of agencies who were not able to hire at all for almost a decade. Um, and, and, and that's not good for morale. That's not good for culture. Uh, that, that's not good for a variety of reasons to include, you know, your, your future seed corn of, of leaders and managers and employees to, to ensure that the agency can keep delivering into the future. 
And I think it's worth emphasizing that it's also not good for regulated entities, for regulate, regulated companies, for different industries that rely on clear and understanding of what government programs are running, the expertise within government. They want to be able to pick up the phone and get advice. Taxpayers want to be able to call the IRS and speak with someone on the phone rather than be stuck in a customer service loop. Or for those who want to be able to just chat the IRS with their questions, that requires technology, that requires training, and ultimately that requires funding. And when you do an across-the-board sequestration, you can't, as you mentioned, identify the programs that are working and make sure that those are maintained and maybe look at you know, less efficient programs that can have funding cuts. You just lose them all together. So I, I definitely think it's critical that Congress come together before that deadline to prevent that from happening. And, and correct me, Jason, it's January 1st. Yeah. Yes. The per the Fiscal Responsibility Act, all appropriations bills must be uh, agreed to and signed by the president by January 1st of 2024, or a 1% across the board cut will be enacted. It's going to be really critical that Congress get its act together before January 1st, ideally before November 17th, so we can have some full funding for government agencies. That is the immediate action that Congress needs to take. But when we get back from our first break, we're going to talk about some of the other ways that Congress can ensure in the long term we avoid situations exactly like what we are experiencing right now and the debates that have been going on for the last month or so. My name is Natalia Castro. You're listening to Fed Talk. We'll be right back. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches, judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R, client-focused, results-driven. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I am here with my colleague, Jason Breifel, and we're talking about the chaos in Congress. And I think, you know, in the last segment, we talked a lot about what the issues on the ground are today. But I think there is a much larger structural issue that we, our government is just stuck in, and it relates to the breakdown between lawmaking, funding, and implementation. This idea that Congress passes a law, my easy example is the First Step Act. They want this big criminal justice reform priority. You know, depending on who you ask, it's a great law, but they don't fund some of the key components that are implementing this law. Bureau of Prisons, huge staffing issues that frustrates the implementation. U.S. Attorney offices, again, huge staffing and resource constraints that frustrate the implementation. 
undergoing these cycles of continuing resolutions and shutdowns that further frustrate the implementation. And then you may have a great priority, but you don't have the implementation. And then Congress gets upset and does their oversight thing, but continues to fail on the funding piece. So there's this big disconnect in Congress right now between the lawmaking, the funding and the implementing. And I personally see it as one of the largest challenges to effective governance. Give me your thoughts. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, Natalia. And I think about two different things here. One is around the budget process itself. You know, in the 1970s, um, Congress recognized that uh, it needed more time, but it, it wanted to change the budget process um, for the government. And uh, 1974 uh, updated the, the process and then they haven't been able to follow it at all. You know, uh, four times in 45 plus years has the Congress been able to pass all of the appropriations bills on time per the process that they laid out for themselves. Um, so we can talk some more about what's related to that, that budget process and some reform options um, uh, in a couple minutes. But I think that that's one piece. There's, there's a framework that, that, the institution seems incapable of living up to. Uh, and then I think the other piece is, um, and it's something that we talked about here on Fed Talk uh, this summer when we had Don Kettle and Bill Eggers on talking about their Bridge Builders book. And they have this idea that about vending machine government. And, and the idea is, you know, the Congress thinks about policy by you put some dollars in the machine about your policy thing, you press the button, and you're and something is going to happen to that, that area and, and you're going to see results um, as you laid out Natalia lawmakers are fighting about the policy itself they tend to not really get into the weeds on implementation how is this really going to work does the agency have the skills the resources and, and the ability to to do this have we provided enough for them in this bill to make that a reality? Or, or is this another form of an unfunded mandate um, or a bridge to nowhere or whatever you wanna call it? Are we, are we creating expectations that agencies are simply unable to live up to? And I do think that shifting a lawmaker focus from the policy making and policy setting piece to really thinking a bit more about implementation which suggests a significant need to really improve the level of understanding that members of Congress and their staff have of how the actual executive branch works. You know, folks have heard me on this program <laughs> for 10 years talk about, like, frankly, I don't think Congress understands how the executive branch works. And I think their approaches to, to authorizing and, and funding government reflects that. Um, and I think that part of the problem there is both of the parties get stuck on the fight on the policy level. But I think that if they shifted their attention toward those implementation details, they could find that common ground that really identifies like, what are we trying to do for the American people here? How do we measure if this agency is achieving that? And then how do we beat that agency over the head with those figures to get them more money when they need it or to, to, to conduct appropriate oversight to uh, improve those programs so we can achieve those objectives. But, but absent that, we're stuck at the policy debate. And you know, border security 
is a huge um, um, piece of this funding debate. Um, there's a huge concern in the Republican caucus that our southern that our borders are wide open, but you know Congress hasn't passed immigration reform since the Reagan administration. And it's interesting because it's very backwards when you think about it. Usually, you pass a law, then you fund it. That's kind of how appropriation seems like it was meant to work. But especially in the immigration context, the law is so outdated. Agencies are doing, honestly, whatever the priorities of the president at the time tell them that they should be doing. In the Trump administration, it was one thing. In the Biden administration, it's something else. In the next administration, it'll probably be something totally different once again. Causes terrible turnover in agencies, horrific duplication, lots of waste. I could talk about that all day. But what I think is really interesting is that now Congress is trying to use the appropriations process, particularly these Republicans who have concerns about border security, as a substitute for substantive lawmaking. And that's not what appropriations are. I think the appropriations process gets becomes much more complex and much more difficult for Congress to manage when you're really trying to use it as a form of substantive lawmaking. I'm all for increasing security and the like on the southern border, but not through the appropriations process. I think that needs to be done way earlier. And then after significant oversight about what's working and what's not working, you can decide what the funding implications look for. But I think there's a real misalignment of of just the order of events as they're supposed to be um, right now in Congress. Yeah. And, you know, look at DHS, you know, DHS oversight, authorization and appropriation continues to be spread among, I can't remember the number, but I think it was like 130 plus different committees and subcommittees. Mm-hmm. And, and so that makes it really hard to drive agreement because members of Congress care about that slice of the agency or the program that they uh, control the policy levers or the funding levers on uh, where, and then you, you compare that to DOD, one authorization, one, one, one appropriation. They've got it done every single year for 64 years in a row. Yep. Uh, we, and that's another structural area where there was progress in recent years, but they just couldn't get it over the finish line uh, to streamline that, to, to, to better create this space, but for lawmakers to, to focus on. And I agree with you that just driving this through the funding side without thinking about the authorities of agencies um, and therefore the authority that Congress is giving the president to manage these policy challenges um, puts agencies in a pickle. So what's the way out? Um, I know you mentioned some budgeting reform previously. I think there's a lot of opportunities there. it's hard to imagine what the break is going to be that really pushes those reforms into reality. I really thought it would be the 2019 shutdown, but the momentum died very soon on any real reforms. So, you know, it's the first time in U.S. history we just lost a speaker. Um, what, what do you think are some of the reforms that could improve this process And is there a real optimism that there's any chance they could advance? So I think there's a suite of reforms uh, that have been discussed for some time now around the budget process. So budget process reform and along with that, 
a shift from annual appropriations to biannual to biannual budgeting. So the idea that you're giving an agency this is your hard target for this year in funding and a notional target for next year so you can better plan for that. Um, after the 2019 shutdown, the Senate got super close under the leadership of Chairman uh, Enzi, uh, really close. They just couldn't get it there. And this is another one of those kind of members of Congress sometimes are more interested in their own power than fixing the, <laughs> fixing the process to, to serve the American people. And ultimately, the appropriators, who, let's be honest, can't do their jobs to save their lives, um, refused to move to, to a two-year process because they thought that they would have less uh, ability to, to oversee and to, to, to shape uh, how those funds are being spent. And let's be honest, they'd have less opportunity to raise money from lobbyists twice a, twice a session. And it's also interesting because if anything, I would think that moving to a two-year budget cycle would give lawmakers more time to not worry about appropriations and instead conduct actual oversight of the things that they have already appropriated. Um, but uh, unfortunately, as you mentioned, I know the response I've gotten talking to people on the Hill about this is it feels like they're giving up the power of the purse. So that's a really hard barrier to climb over. Although the Constitution says nothing about annual budgeting for anything besides the military, but that's fine. Um, conversation for another day. I want to talk to you about ending government shutdowns. Do you think there's a path to that? I sure hope so. Uh, you know, if, if we're in the bar, if they're in the business of setting really low bars to step over, like I'd hope that that's a really low bar that Congress can figure out. Um, there's a variety of proposals here uh, um, as well. You know whether it's moving the end, moving the end of the government's fiscal year to um, to to the end of the year, and just being honest about the fact that we tend to find ourselves in these you know one to three month CR situations. Um, you know we some of the organizations that we represent have have supported in the past a bill from. Um, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma and Senator Shaheen from New Hampshire, which basically says Congress can't do any other business until they, they finish the appropriations process. That means no going on international trips. That means no other hearings. That means no other business whatsoever. How palpable that versus other options may be, I don't know. But I do know that folks are really sick of this situation, lawmakers are sick of finding themselves in this situation and they understand the negative impacts that it has um, on the views of the American people, certainly of Congress as an institution, but our government writ large. And so I'm definitely hopeful that some of these bare minimum reforms can be put into place. We mentioned already after 2019, uh, we were able to get onto the books that, that federal employees you know, don't need a fight to be made whole. I think that there's um, there's a growing conversation around the contractor community and others who who have not been taken care of there, and um, I think that's another important thing to think about. You know, as we talked about in the beginning of the show, over fifty percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and so if there are people working for the, the United States government and they're going to work, like, why are we going to put them in that position? Why are we going to make them feel the way that we've made them feel? We know we have a mental health crisis in this country. We know we have an economic problem in this country. 
Um, and so we'll hope our elected leaders can rise above the fray and uh, find common ground with one another. And part of the challenge is, I think, enabling rank and file members to drive the debate more than leadership. Because I think when you're in leadership, Democrats versus Republicans, the partisan tendencies tend to win out uh, more frequently, um, oriented towards short-term political gain, as opposed to doing real important things for the American people. Thank you, Jason. We can only really hope that we see that reform in the future. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. This is a rapidly developing situation, so make sure you're subscribed to our firm's two newsletters, fedmanager.com, that's fedmanager.com, for updates on the management and HR side about what's going on in the government, and fedagent.com, that's fedagent.com, for updates from the law enforcement community. FedTalk is brought to you by the federal employment law firm of Shaw, Bransford & Raw. Thank you for listening, and have a great weekend. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford & Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years.